Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry, and this week it's farewell to one of my favorite shows from the last few years. I got a sneak peek at it and have a review. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. We have our first look at an upcoming eagerly anticipated TV reboot. We'll talk some Frasier. Plus, the fall TV season is starting to ramp up, including a show that's inspired by John Wick. But first, new in theaters this weekend. On September 22nd. Time for music. We heard you. This is gonna be fun. <laughs> Round and clear. Please make Expendables 4 rated R. There better be violence and lots of it. I want all the blood and guts. F*** it. Expendables 4, or Expend Forbles, like, because it's one of these dumb movies now where they've got the, the sequel, the number yep. in, in the title. So the 4 sort of looks like an A, so they just put it where the A goes in Expendables? Yeah. Dumb. Um, yep. So anyway, just such a silly trend. The first Expendables movie came out in 2010. It's about a team of mercenaries who take on bad guys. Sylvester Stallone just wanted to make a big throwback action, macho action movie. Huge cast. Lots of big stars in that one. So that one had Stallone and Statham. Jet Li was in it. Terry Crews, Randy Couture, Dolph Lundgren, Eric Roberts, Stone Cold, Steve Austin, Mickey Rourke, and don't forget Bruce Willis and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then in 2012, the second one came out. And same thing. It had just this huge cast that added Chuck Norris. Liam Hemsworth was in that. Jean-Claude Van Damme to name a few. Um, and it was a better movie, much better movie, because the first one was surprisingly not that fun. 2014, the third one arrived. The worst reviewed of the bunch. It made the least amount of money in spite of the cast there. So in that one, they added Antonio Banderas, Wesley Snipes, uh, Kelsey Grammer was in that one. Forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, talking about Frasier. <laughs> yeah. Kellen Lutz from Twilight, Ronda Rousey was in that. Harrison Ford had a role, and uh, Mel Gibson was in that one as well. Um, but it was PG-13. The first two movies were rated R. So Expend Forbles is rated R. Hard R. So the cast here, not quite as big. Sylvester Stallone, Jason Statham, Curtis, 50 Cent Jackson, Megan Fox, Dolph Lundgren, Tony Jaw, and Iko Uwais, who, those names, you might not know them unless you're into martial arts, but they are both amazing martial arts stars. Randy Couture is in it. And then uh, a couple of people I've never actually heard of, the young blood of the cast, Jacob Scipio, I, I hope I'm saying Jacob's name right, and uh, Levy Tran, along with Andy Garcia, rounds out the cast. So uh, maybe you just missed it, or I've not seen any of these movies. It feels like they're going out of their way not to ask Steven Seagal to be in any of them. Oh, yeah. I, I, Is he in any of them? No, he's okay. not. And I can't remember <laughs> if it ever came up, if he if he couldn't do it. That's a good question. People don't like working up. with that guy. No, they probably just didn't want him in it at all. As for the plot, I mean, they're mercenaries. They inflict violence. And there are new... <laughs> New people in the crew bringing young blood. Like that's actually in their synopsis that they highlight the. They don't. They sell. They say nothing about the story. Just that they uh, 
they're the team that gets called when no one else can get the job done. Oh, and don't forget about the tagline that they've been using in their marketing. They'll die when they're dead. So, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really matter what the plot is, especially with all of the scintillating dialogue in this movie, like this. You almost killed me! You're welcome! Or this. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, you, nothing says quality like that's what I'm talking about when it ends up in the script. Or this. Good to be back. Okay, and finally. Enjoy the show! There you go. Enjoy the show. Now, the early reviews are not good. In fact, some are scathing. For example, Eric Eisenberg of Cinema Blend says, Ever wonder what the rock bottom of a franchise looks like? Prepare to be stunned. By the awfulness of Expendables, <laughs> it has the aesthetics of a 1995 direct-to-video movie, and simply describing story slash plot development sounds like mockery, an embarrassment for all involved. End quote. But there are some reviews that are good, with critics comparing it to like a Call of Duty video game and just saying it's just nonsense fun. I'm curious enough to watch it one day. Expendables. Definitely. Rated R. In theaters, September 22nd. Yeah, I'm, I've never seen any of those movies, and it does seem like something that I might uh, partake in sort of, like if they show all four back to back to back to back on cable someday, it may just like, okay, this will just be on TV for me all Saturday long or something like that. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'm going out of my way to make a trip to the theater to see that one, that's for sure. Uh, we mentioned it earlier, the trailer arrived for what I fear will be the biggest disappointment of the year. It's the reboot of my beloved Frasier. What is it about the city of Boston that leads me to forego the more sophisticated temptation of the fermented grape? Sitting here with a cold brew in my hand, I feel amalgamated with the hoi polloi. You are the classic everyman. <laughs> Frasier was one of the most successful television spin-offs of all time. It followed 11 seasons of Cheers, which is an all-timer in the annals of TV history. And then Frasier ran for another 11 seasons, 264 episodes, winning 37 Emmys along the way. It ended way back in 2004, but now it's back with Kelsey Grammer once again taking on the role of his career. And I'm pretty sure that's what's motivating all this. Try as he might, Grammer just was not getting a lot done in Hollywood aside from Frasier, he was pretty good in a couple of X-Men movies, but that's about it. No real traction aside from his franchise sitcom role. The new series finds Frasier back in Boston like he was for Cheers. Frasier was set in Seattle. The finale showed him off to Chicago chasing the love of his life, Laura Linney, so I guess that went south. Already I'm kind of upset because the very existence of this new series kind of sours a really good finale in that original Frasier. But now he's back in Boston where his boy Freddie lives. Freddie, of course, is all grown up now and not terribly interested in spending time with the father who literally moved across the country from him when he was a little boy. Freddie, surprise! Dad, you're at my door, unannounced. No, there's a shorter way to say that. Surprise! What's going on with your son? Wish I knew. He's got a girlfriend I've never even heard of. When I told him I wanted to spend more time with him, he said no. It's just not a good time. Have you considered that he hates you? <laughs> 
So that'll be tough for him. Can't blame Freddie, though. Uh, Freddie's a firefighter now, by the way, which is interesting when you think of the family dynamic because Frazier's dad, Marty, was a cop and felt he had nothing in common with his pretentious sons. And so this father-son relationship is kind of the inverse. I like that. It's kind of clever, but also obvious at the same time. And it looks like Frazier has some new work friends. I gather from the trailer he's taken some sort of a university teaching job and he hangs out at a pub with some of the other professors. And that's where you really start wondering about the cast because Kelsey Grammer is the only returning player. Granted, John Mahoney, who played Martin, is dead. But David Hyde Pierce, who has absolutely nothing better to do, did not want to come back, nor apparently did Jane Leaves or Perry Gilpin. I assume since it's set in Boston, we'll get a couple of Cheers cameos at some point. But it mostly looks like this will be all new, and it doesn't look terribly funny. I'll give it a chance, but the odds of lightning striking three times are so vast that I'm having a very hard time coming up with any other emotion other than dread uh, the upcoming uh, series next month. We'll soon find out. The new Frasier will air weekly on Paramount Plus starting October 12th. The first two episodes, however, will be on CBS on October 17th, presumably as a way to get you to subscribe to Paramount Plus, but also, of course, because CBS needs some stuff to show thanks to the strikes. I miss you, and I won't take no for an answer. So I've taken a job, and I found a place to live. My dad, I mean, he can be kind of... He smelled really good. Yeah, he always smells really good. <laughs> Don't sit there! Those are Christian Lacroix pillows. So we can't sit on the couch. Not in jeans. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Today I'm spending time with my son, colleagues, and friends. For the first time in my life, I can say that Fraser Crane wants for nothing. Oh, that's too bad. I had somebody that I wanted to set you up with. I can be ready in five minutes. I've fallen again. And we'll have more TV stuff to talk about. Uh, we've got some premieres coming up this week, as Jeff mentioned, because of the strikes. The list is a little thinner yeah. this year, but there's a big one that debuts. Well, it's actually out now. Thursday, September 21st is uh, when this show lands on Netflix. And we'll tell you about that one because I'm sad, but also, I think, ready to see it go. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes, and I have a review of a show that debuts Thursday, September 21st, so this week on Netflix, it is the fourth and final season of what really has become one of my favorite shows of the last few years, it's Sex Education. Hi everyone, I'm Otis Milburn, I'm new here, I'm with the whole Mordell Secondary team. Thank you. I just wanted to let you know a little bit about myself. I spend a lot of my free time thinking about sex. I live and breathe sex all day, every day. Thinking about sex comes very naturally because I learn everything I know about sex from my mum. I'm not in a sexual relationship with my mother. For goodness sake, just tell them you're a sex therapist. Yes, I am. So, Sex Education debuted in 2019. It stars Asa Butterfield as Otis, who... It's a, it's a British high school show, and it's, it's a weird one because what they did was they... It's set... They actually... You know what? Now that I think of it, I don't think they ever name the country that it's in. You assume that it's in England, but they wear uniforms at school over there, and they don't in this. They just made them more... Like, there are kids even throwing like, American footballs around, so they tried to... They 
by making it appealing to both European audiences and North American, they were trying to come up with some hybrid. And it's shot in Wales in, I don't know where, <laughs> where they found this house. It looks like a Bob Ross painting or it looks like something out of the Shire. The house that they live in, Otis and his mom, who's played by Gillian Anderson, it's surrounded by beautiful trees beside a creek. It just it's perfect. It's a postcard. It's a it's a painting. I love it. Uh, so it's wonderful to watch the scenery in this show. It's just exquisite. But Otis, his mom, played by Gillian Anderson, is a sex therapist. And over time he realizes that he's picked up quite a bit of stuff from her in terms of knowledge in that arena and he turns it into this little side hustle at school and he starts charging kids for advice and and he gets into trouble for that but whatever it just it it's a it it adds to the the drama that's how they explore all of the the issues that the kids have is by talking to him about it. And the first season was hilarious. It was heartfelt. It has an amazing ensemble cast. It's a very inclusive show and uh, it, it's got some great social messaging. And it just get the show got better, I think, in season two. Season three was pretty good, but it was by, I could, when season four started, it just felt like, okay, I'm ready to let this go. I should also point out, season three came out in September of 2021, I think, or late 2021. So, like, it's been two years since I last saw this show, and I had completely forgotten about some significant events that happened in the third season. Like, why are they in a new school this year? Well, it's because they the, the previous school they were in, shut down so the, the students all had to scatter and find spots in different schools. So when they get to this new school, it, even though the show has been, like I said, it's been very inclusive and they explore all aspects of sexuality and gender identity and that kind of stuff. And they do it in a fun way as these teenagers are learning about themselves. Like the, it really, the, it's a good title because if you are interested in learning about this stuff, this show does a pretty good job at letting you know what's changing in our society. But when they get to this new school, they almost even satirize it in a way, or, or at least satirize how overwhelming it can be when you're exposed to all this new stuff for the first time because the, the, the school they end up at is completely different from where they were. The cool kids are transgender and gay and the, the campus is basically student run but he ends up trying to set up his sex therapy practice but turns out there's already one on campus who does that so he spends the season at war with her so i just uh like i said it's a great cast one of the things I think that let me down a little bit in this season is the therapist the guy who everybody turns to for advice, for empathy, for help, is the biggest baby in the whole show. And he he was I don't remember him being like that in the first three. He was frustrating because he's not perfect. He's not infallible. People make mistakes. And often people who are empathetic or people who are great listeners or great at giving advice uh, are often like the worst behaviors. And he behaves really badly in this season. But uh, it, it doesn't make him unlikable. It just makes him normal i guess like people do dumb things but yeah it's just it's an it's a really good show it's awkward comedy it is in your 
face. So if that's not for you, I mean figuratively and literally in your face at times. Should point out, I'm just sort of flipping through my notes here. Um, Dan Levy from Schitt's Creek is in this. He, he for the first time, he plays a teacher at one of the schools. Um, but I'm just I'm glad that it's finished because it was a it was a good show. And it's not just for about young people. Like they they explore issues that older people might be facing as well. Like Jillian Anderson's character. I don't know how old her character is, but in real life she's fifty five, and she's got a newborn. She didn't think she thought that part of her life was behind her. And surprise, she got pregnant. So what happens if you're in your forties or your fifties and you have a baby and you're a single parent and and what happens to your body as well and dealing with stuff like postpartum depression and all that. So it really does explore issues for all genders, all sexualities, and all ages, and it manages to weave it all together in a pretty excellent fashion. So I think season four overall, not its best season, but as a series, I cannot recommend it enough. It's just fantastic. I should point out as well, even though it's a comedy all the episodes are like 45, 50, 60 minutes long. So it's not like a sort of ram through binge like you can with other comedies that are 22 minutes long. Sex Education 4, season four on Netflix. It's awesome. Up next, we are going to head to the continental. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. And the fall television season is upon us. And it's not quite as weighty in terms of the number of offerings because of the ongoing strikes. But there is still some cool stuff. And this one, I think we're both really curious about. It debuts on Friday. It's on Prime Video in Canada. It's The Continental from the world of John Wick. This sacred institution wields power beyond your imagination. Winston, your brother stole something from me. What you took is very important to a lot of very dangerous people. Find him, because if you don't, I'll bring the weight of this whole institution down on you both. Sharon, show our guests the door. You made a big mistake coming here. You're my brother, Frankie. We have to strike first. And I need all the help I can get. How are we supposed to believe a guy in an ascot can pull this off? It's a cravat. So it's a three-part event. New episode each Friday for the next couple of weeks. It's going to explore the origin behind the iconic Hotel for Assassins centerpiece of the John Wick universe through the eyes and actions of a young Winston Scott who in the movies runs the Continental and he is dragged into the hellscape of 1970s New York City to face a past he thought he'd left behind. Winston charts a deadly course through the hotel's mysterious underworld in a harrowing attempt to seize the hotel where he will eventually take his future throne. It's on Peacock in the U.S. and again we'll get it on Prime. We're going to take on the Continental. Every freak in that hotel will be after us. Well, that's lovely. We need guns. Lots of guns. So, Jeff, what do you think? Um, I'm looking forward to it, sort of. The, the hotel stuff, the secret world of assassins is not 
why we go to John Wick movies, although I guess I don't mind it after four movies. <laughs> you sort of get used to it, but I mean, we show up, you know, for the action in those movies. So hopefully there's still quite a bit of action in this, but it it's very intriguing, like you said at the beginning. So, and I like that it's a, a prequel series, so they can do a lot of different stuff. They don't have to, you know, hew too closely to the storylines of the John Wick movies, aside from, you know, clearly the series sort of needs to end wherever John Wick 1 began. Um, the only thing I'm really not looking forward to about this is the fact that Mel Gibson's in it, because I don't like Mel Gibson, but beyond that, maybe he's not in it a whole lot. We'll see. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I'm, I am looking forward to it. I remember when they announced this a few years ago, I was like, wow, that's pretty crazy, but here it is. Here we are. It should be, hopefully it's fun. It looks like it very much could be. Yeah, and as far as the Mel Gibson stuff goes there, if you just Google Mel Gibson, the Continental, you will see quite a few headlines on that, and it looks like uh, not everybody is happy about it, and uh, some are saying he's just unwatchable in this series, so yeah. that's interesting. But yeah, I um, the reviews overall are 46% on Rotten Tomatoes for this show. Some of them are pretty good, and some are just saying it's it's completely, it, it's just nothing. It doesn't hold a candle, hmm. which I'm not surprised yeah. by at all. You mentioned catching lightning in a bottle three times or trying to do it. They, they've done it four times with the John Wick movies, <laughs> But uh, to try to replicate that success in a different form, I don't know. I mean, it looks at least it looks like it's well shot and it's well produced because you have to bring that same level of aesthetics or something a little different, but still it has to be beautiful to to measure up at all because those John Wick movies are just, they look cool. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and since it's set in the 70s, um, maybe the very last thing will be like the paper boy throwing the paper on the front steps of the Continental and it'll be like, hey, thanks little John Wick. Uh, here's your nickel for the oh. papers. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get the John Wick origin story, don't we? I don't know, but he's a... Got to be a kid in the 70s. So. Yeah, that's a, a potential we'll see. for that. So that's debuting <laughs> on Prime this Friday. Should also point out as well, American Horror Story Delicate Part 1 makes its debut on FX on Thursday, September 20th. And apparently Kim Kardashian is in this one. Like in, it's world's first, greatest actress. Why not? Yeah. yeah. So that's out. Um, and then the, the, we mentioned Sex Education is on Netflix. And then just a couple of other ones wanted to point out here. Another season of Love is Blind on Netflix. There's something called Crapopolis. I saw that. On Fox. Good Spelled title. Spelled with a K. <laughs> Good title. <laughs> Crap. Oh, hang on a second. Oh, I just tried to... I tried to type Crapopolis and I typed Crapolist and now I'm Crapolist. Just um, Sunday night is it an animated show? Perhaps it is an animated show. Yes. Oh, and included in the cast is Hannah Waddingham, who plays the boss in Ted Lasso, the owner yeah. of the team. There you go. So yeah, it's set in mythical ancient Greece. All right, that sounds like it could be fun. And then we've got. Uh, the Voices is back on NBC. Uh, Kitchen Nightmares is back on Fox on September 25th. And then looking ahead to next week, so we've already talked about in recent weeks how Survivor and The Amazing Race right. on Wednesday night starting September 27th. Survivor airing, by the way, on Global. That one, uh, there'll be 90-minute episodes, supersized episodes this season to make up for the strike strikes. The Masked Singer is back on Fox. There's, they've got a new show as well called Snake Oil. It's a David Spade one. It's a game show thing it's where it's, you guess, uh, is this a real product or is this a, just fake? Yeah, and look, look at what they're doubling down on the Gordon Ramsay because we've got another season of Hell's Kitchen on September 28th and something called Lego Masters. And uh, moving to fr the 29th, 
just putting this on your radar early. Gen V, that's the it's a spin-off series of the boys, is making its debut there. That's that, that's their sort of superhero satire show. And on Global on September 27th, they've got a new show out called Robin Hood. So it's like a like Global produced this show that they they it's a modern take on the tale of Robin Hood. And so far from what I've seen from the ads and stuff, that looks pretty cool. Hmm. But uh, yeah, like the, there is, if you are curious to know uh, about the the effects of the strike, there is a Wikipedia page now. Um, projects delayed due to Hollywood <laughs> strikes. Yeah, list of productions impacted by the 2023 Writers Guild of America strike, and that's just the Writers Guild. But uh, it, it, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, TV shows, movies. This could be, and we were speaking with a, a, a film producer here in Manitoba, and he says this could be worse than COVID. He says the 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 economic loss is going to be traumatic once Oops. we start to see some numbers. Because like, think of all the jobs that they, these. Yeah, yeah. And it, like, it's, yeah, it's two unions that are who are based out of Hollywood, but it's affecting the entire industry around the planet. Right. So that sucks. And the, the just the stuff that we want to see. Everything's getting pushed back a year, two years. So that's going to be a challenge. Speaking of stuff that we want to see. Jeff Braun watched something this week that he'd always wanted to see. Been on yeah. the list for 20 years. And he finally got around <laughs> to it because it popped up in the top 10 on Netflix. So we'll get to that next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And a week after rewatching Oppenheimer, I took a look back at one of director Christopher Nolan's earliest films. And I wasn't alone in watching Insomnia. In the peaceful town of Nightmead, Alaska. Detective Burr! Didn't expect to see you this soon. A brilliant writer of murder mysteries. Working on a new book, Mr. Finch? Has found a way to live them out. Oh, man. Killing changes you. Who am I speaking to? And only one cop can stop him. You don't hide from me in a town this small. Where is she, Finch? I have great respect for your profession. That's why I write about it. Insomnia. Rated R. Starts Friday, May 24th at a theater near you. Insomnia is new on Netflix as of last week, and it was listed as the number two movie on the site all week long, so it looks like people have been watching it. Part of that has to do with the fact there have been precious few new offerings on any streamers worth watching of late, and not nearly as many big-name older movies coming online on a weekly basis as there used to be. And of course, the pedigree of Insomnia is pretty amazing. It was amazing back in 2002 when it came out, and even more so now. It stars Al Pacino and Robin Williams, two of the most important actors of their generations. And it's directed by one of the biggest directors of all time, and Christopher Nolan. Even the supporting cast is impressive. The movie came out three years after Hilary Swank won her first Oscar, and two years before she won her second Oscar. She's kind of vastly overqualified for her small role in this film, I thought. Uh, the movie is set in a town called Nightmute, Alaska. Wikipedia says it has a population of 200, which would make the movie a giant lie because communities with 200 people don't have high schools and police services with more than six people like this movie does. 
but whatever. It's remote small town Alaska, and at this time of year, summer I guess, the sun never goes down, and for some reason, the local hotel doesn't have proper blinds in the rooms. You'd think in that scenario, they'd have really heavy drapes that could totally block out the light, but they don't, and that's too bad for L.A. Detective Al Pacino, who's brought in to help investigate a murder with his partner. This is where the insomnia comes in. Pacino cannot get a proper night's sleep for the whole five or six days the movie takes place, and as a cop with the gun who makes rash decisions, that's not necessarily a good combination. But before we get too deep into the murder investigation, we also learn that Pacino's partner, Hap, has decided when he gets back to L.A. that he'll cut a deal with internal affairs, which Pacino fears will lead to him and have his old cases investigated and the people that he locked up be turned loose on technicalities, things like that. This is all very cliche cop movie stuff, and I actually was a little startled by kind of how ordinary it felt being a Christopher Nolan movie. That guy has curated his career very carefully to the point where everyone now thinks a, a Nolan movie is a big event, mostly because he tells us it is, and we just believe him. Now, I mean, he's wrong a lot of the time. Uh, tenant, anyone? Sucks! See? But even when his movies are not great, they're always interesting. This, though, not so much. Uh, so we have, you know, this bad blood between the partners, and now this murder investigation in a town where the sun never sets. Uh, a high gr school girl has been strangled to death, and eventually we learn that a local author, played by Robin Williams, is a suspect, and the movie kind of changes when he enters halfway through. I don't want to spoil anything, but it's a dramatic shift, and not in a, a twisty kind of way that, you know, we uh, might expect from a Nola movie, like The Prestige, but just in a kind of clunky storytelling way, you wonder why they didn't get there quicker, and it kind of feels like a lot of the first hour just wasn't necessary. This is... Uh um, Robin Williams in huge creep mode, by the way, which he's very good at. And he didn't really get to play it too often. I felt like he should have had like a huge marquee movie playing one of these cycles where like when you list your five favorite Robin Williams movies, that's one of them. But no, he only did it a couple of times in a couple of more minor movies, including this one. Although I guess this was bigger than any movies he made after it. As for Pacino, he's coming off some terrific performances in The Insider and Any Given Sunday in the late 90s. He's heading into this, but he's about to really settle into just years of making the worst cop movies, and he's already in that mode here. It's not a bad performance, but it is lacking a spark. I mean, he's playing a guy who's who's tired and can't sleep, so I guess it would be weird to have him dialed up to 11 like he often is. That's the fun Pacino. So I guess it's kind of the right performance, but it just kind of has kind of dull edges. The movie looks amazing. Alaska, of course, very scenic, and Nolan and cinematographer Wally Pfister do a great job shooting it. Uh, the movie looks better than it actually is. You can sort of see uh, creeping in. It's like, oh, he would have liked to go back and do this one on IMAX, I bet. All these establishing shots of the wilderness in Alaska are just really kind of breathtaking. Um, overall, it's not a bad movie, just kind of standard stuff. And for Nolan, it's just too normal and straightforward. I think aside from a few brief flashbacks, it doesn't screw around with time at all, which might be his only movie that's told in a linear fashion. Even two of his Batman movies bounced around in time quite a bit. And maybe I'm projecting, but it sort of feels like maybe he was bored making this kind of movie, and that's why he just took much bigger swings almost every time out after this. But for what it is, Insomnia is a perfectly fine thriller, very watchable, and available now on Netflix if you're looking for something like that. I'll give it three couch cushions out of five. Also, I just wanted to touch on this because I watched this a couple of weeks ago, haven't had a chance to mention it, but I watched a horror comedy that has received almost universal praise and actually it's fitting that I tell you about it this week because just like Expend Forbles, 
where it has the number four <laughs> in the title. This movie is called Megan, but it's actually spelled Mathrigan. Katie, you lost your parents. Welcome home. You're my niece. I'm going to do everything I can to make this place feel like home. Just wish I could see them again. I'm not equipped to handle this. I don't even take care of my own plants. So it's another entry into the killer doll arena. And it came out in the first weekend of the year. That is typically a dumping ground for a horror movie of some sort and usually a stinker. But to this one, to everyone's surprise, this one was good. And it was a hit. It made $95 million domestically, almost $180 million worldwide, and a sequel is in the works. It's about a girl named Katie whose parents are killed, so she goes to live with her aunt, who is a scientist who has created a Model 3 generative android, or Megan for short. And Katie and Megan become friends, but it starts to become clear that Megan might be a little too protective, and maybe there's something wrong with her. Eat the toppings, Katie. Research shows if you force a child to eat vegetables, they'll be less likely to choose those foods as adults. Is that so? Yes. Experts say... Megan, turn off. I thought we were having a conversation. She didn't turn off as commanded. Not only is she not listening to orders, but eventually she goes full rogue and starts killing people to protect Katie. Now, the android is played by a person, but her face is, I believe, a mixture of animatronics and CGI. And the CG face stuff... It's just normally weird and doesn't work. But in this case, it works great because it's creepy and she's supposed to be creepy. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this movie. It was a lot of fun. And beyond the, the, the amusing story that is told, I think it, it explores some pretty cool ideas here, like our idea, our need to parent via technology and it explores how we need to buy tech for our kids because we're too busy working but we have to work harder and make more money so we can buy expensive crap for our kids and then we're not there to raise our kids it also explores corporate greed and the way that corporations market to kids really scathing stuff in there and speaking of marketing, the movie starts with just a hilarious ad for some some talking dolls and stuff. I should point out there is an unrated version that's more violent and sweary, apparently. I watched the version that's on Prime for free, but you can rent it for, I, I think it's $5 for the rental. But yeah, for the first weekend of the year, this movie is way better than you would expect. And the sequel barring any complications from the strikes, is due in 2025. So there you go. You can find Megan slash Mathrigan on Prime. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.